Hey, it's Neil. I am excited to share beer stories. Hosted by my good friends Misha Smith and Ilinx Violet from Pastor Street Brewing Company. And produced by me at 7 Million Bike Podcasts. So check out Beer Stories here on a Vietnam podcast. It's going to be a special pod swap and we're going to do more of these over the coming months. There will be new episodes every week. This is for beer enthusiasts, not beer snobs. So if you love beer, you'll love this podcast. The link is in the show notes. Go and follow that if you need it and enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Welcome to another episode of Beer Stories. This is a podcast about beers. Our producer is Neil Mackay of 7 Million Bikes Podcast. Our theme music was composed and performed by Lewis Wright. My name is Misha Smith. My co-host, as always, Alex Violet. How's it going, Alex? Oh, it's going well. Great. And our guest today is the founder, owner, and operator at Turtle Lake Brewing Company in Hanoi, Lamont Wynn. Lamont, thanks for coming down just to jump on the pod. Thank you for having me. Obviously, a pleasure. And uh, today we're going to be talking about launching a craft brewery in Vietnam because Alex and Lamont, you guys have both had the experience of opening a craft brewery from nothing in Vietnam. You want to watch your baby grow, develop, nurture it. So, that, so I'm constantly there, you know. Turtle Lake's evolving, I'm evolving, I'm learning as I go. And it's what I'm involved in, make sure it can be the best that it can potentially be. This is what happens right here. Close down his pants, whips out his dick, and pisses right on my terrace. I'm like, dude, and I walk up to dude like, dude, what the fuck? Put that shit away. And he's like, leave me alone. It's okay. <laughs> leave me alone? You're pissing on my... So my reason for it, A, I have the space, and why the fuck not? It's my fucking business now. I can do what I want. I'm a big boy now. I want to haunt a house. <laughs> so I built a fucking haunted house, dude. So just to get started, we're going to do our, our fastest growing segment. It's called the hangover check. How hungover were you this morning when you woke up? Zero. Okay. Alex? The zero or eh, 0. 0.5. Yeah, same. This segment isn't going that great. <laughs> I need beer. I had a pretty quiet night in last night. Beer's on the way, for the record. So, uh, Lamont, let's just get into it. Like, What was the motivation behind opening a craft brewery in Vietnam? What were you doing before that? Um, before that, I was teaching. I was teaching English in Vietnam, Hanoi. I was taught for a couple of years, 12 years, and then... That's more than a couple. Yeah, slight. So I had a friend who was homebrewing in China. His name was Ian. Yeah. And then he came down to Hanoi with his homebrews and thought it was a really cool idea. It's like, hey, you know, your beers are good. Let's do something in Hanoi. Make a small little tap room, small little system. He's a cool idea. And then we talked about it. And then I had another friend through our daughter's school. He's like, what? We should open a, a lounge. I'm like... Be a good idea. So the two came to my mind and said, hey, I talked to them both and said, when well, we open a small little scale brewery. And that's what we did. And then we, so we decided that we needed to go find some partners, do our research about opening a business in Vietnam. So I spoke to local restaurant owners that I knew. And then we ran into Keith. Keith, you opened a brewery. I mentioned it. I went in. And so that became the four of us. Basically, you'd open the brewery. And then one of the partners dropped out. And then Mick Francis came in after that. And it was the four of us at the Big Ann Turtle Lake. And so we talked about it. We came to Pasture. We guys the first place that we saw to check out the brewery, the one that you had hella far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a good motorbike ride. Well, what year was it that you visited the brewery? That would have been 2017. So I, we came to check out your facilities. 
and that kind of gives an idea for our for our place. And then basically we made a decision. Then obviously location, location, location. So we drove around Hanoi for a solid month or so, looking for locations. And then we got lucky and found a place that we're in now. So then immediately after we found that, I flew to China to start looking for equipment. And my friend Harry Callahan, he helped me out with the brewery, sourcing the equipment. We went to some cowboy breweries, some good ones, some bad ones. And we went to Jinan, where it was like near Beijing, and checked out seven, eight manufacturers and some of this shit. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> so we found one that we went with that suited our needs. And then we got the equipment, ordered it in July, and it arrived in um, December, right before, um, right around Christmas. And so we built it up, had some issues, obviously. And then we did a soft opening in January, and then we did a full opening on in March, two thousand eighteen. So Lamont, how many beers did you guys have when you when you started out? We started with two. We started okay. we started with our at the time it was our first sleep now and our VPA. Those are the first two beers we started with. Nice. Are you still making both of those? Those are one of our two two of our core brand beers. Yes. Awesome. So you were saying you started off with um, a few uh, partners, and what was everybody's role? Were you kind of like like leading the charge on the operations, or more of a, just like a financial side? I, I was leading the charge, and then I had my my board, the guys, the partners, and then we just built it out. You know, with every partnership, there are obstacles, a lot of obstacles. So it was it was a challenge. It was a challenge because this was my first business. And oh then, wow! And these guys are seasoned professionals already, and they're on, on their own rights. So. A lot of egos, but it, it, you know, Turlet came to be. It came to be. nice. What was your what was like your craft beer background before? Okay, <laughs> that's the most important experience in my opinion. <laughs> no, I, I I like to say jokingly. I really is really a joke because it's really a joke. I like to think that I'm never him, but I, I say I'm like Steve Jobs. I have great ideas, and I find talented people to make my dreams come true. You know, so. That sounds like me. That's why you guys are both good at your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> You're Steve Jobs, huh? No. What was it like, it just generally? Was it a lot more difficult than you were expecting, a lot easier than you were expecting, or about as difficult as you guys imagined it would be? Or do you want the censored version, or do you want the uncensored version? I want uncensored, <laughs> obviously. I mean, you know, doing business here is shit, man. There's a lot of loopholes and a lot of shit, man. You know, there's regulations, laws, and just... In general, I'm sure Alex, you can agree. It's this: you think something's this way, then it automatically just switches direction. The unanswered questions and the lack of just not knowing what's going on at all times—it's difficult. For sure. Yeah, I actually don't really. I haven't run into that too much because, um, you know, at getting past Third Street started, we always had a team of people that you know, like were our local partners and and kind of knew the the way of the land and just how, how to, how to run a business in Vietnam. And that for me was really helpful because I could focus on the things that I knew, like brewing and restaurants and, and getting the beer out. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of that stuff is there, but I just, I don't really have too much personal experience seeing that. I was on the battlefield. <laughs> in the trenches. Yeah. That's a good point. Lamont had a lot of experience living in Vietnam before starting this. You obviously were coming brand new. I had zero. And, and when, you know, um, getting the company started, my role wasn't the CEO, it was the brewmaster. So there was a lot of the stuff that, you know, I, I didn't really see, you know, I'd see as a board member or, you know, something like above the business, but I wasn't in the, in the weeds of the, the day-to-day operations with a lot of that stuff. Uh, but it sounds like you're like at Turtle Lake, you have to be like the jack of all trades. You know, you are running the brewing 
And I have a brewer. Kitchen. Name- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a brewer, but you started brewing, right? Working on it. Okay. And then the kitchen. Kitchen, yes. So, yeah, basically jack of all trades. You know, I had to know what was going on in the kitchen, obviously. No one's going on in the brewery, front of house, back of house. And it's just, it's, it's a lot to contend with. Yes, I had a chef, an accountant, obviously, managers, but still, you're still pretty much full on because this is a small business. And so you got to know everything and what to do. One thing that I, I, one thing that I know is a very constant about Turtle Lake is I show up there, I'm going to see Lamont. It seems like you're there quite a bit. I'm, you know, very involved in all these like day-to-day operations. And it's it's always fun for me to go up there and see that because you, it seems like you have this really clear, deep understanding of what your business is about and how it runs. Yeah, I would like to think that. You want to watch your baby grow, develop, nurture it. So that, so I'm constantly there, you know. It's, it's, Turtle Lake's evolving. I'm evolving. I'm learning as I go. And it's, you just want to be involved and make sure it can be the best that it can potentially be. And after COVID, we're all coming out of a COVID hole and trying to get that recognition back and let people know that you're back open and you're trying to, you're back. So I got to be involved. <laughs> For sure. But to that point, do you, when you're there at night, do you feel like you're working or do you feel like you're just the host and you and your your job is to entertain or are you like constantly l- looking at every little thing that all your staff are doing? I'm not a micromanager. I'm more a little laissez-faire type of management style. But I'm aware, I watch. And, but also, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the face of Turlake, but I guess I am. So you, also you got to host people. You know, people are going to come see you, they want to talk to you. You're trying to create an atmosphere, a vibe in the place where people want to come back. So that's what I'm trying to do. Just create a, a vibe that's, okay, this is a cool, chill place to hang out. You might want to come back. The owner's kind of cool or he's a dick, whatever. <laughs> but we want to come back, you know, beers are good, food's good. And so I just make a cool chill place. And I do a lot of stupid events. The the vibe is is awesome. And there's actually something very specific about the vibe that I get when I go to Turtle Lake. And it's that when I step in there, I feel like I could be like in a brew pub in Tennessee or in Colorado. It's just every detail of it from like the food, the types of beers, the layout, the atmospherics, seeing the brewery equipment. It just feels like you're in the U.S. when you're in there. It's like a very immersive experience. I'd say more than any other brewery that I've been to in Vietnam, it just feels like this could be anywhere in the United States and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. People feel that you could be anywhere. You just walk into an oasis, a little guard of greenery and beer. And yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, it's cool because I know that I enjoy going to like a Japanese restaurant when I walk in and it feels like you could be in Japan, you know, and have this awesome bowl of ramen. Um, But I definitely, I think, get this like really full, complete American craft beer brewery taproom experience. Thank you, but this is me. (laughs) Just me. Just trying to make a cool place. No, sure. But so on the back of that, like, obviously, there are a lot of Western people working in F&B over here in Vietnam. And I feel like... A lot of them do either make concessions or like try to target things towards locals, which, you know, you need to get Vietnamese people in if you want to run a restaurant in Vietnam, obviously. But like you trying to promote that American style, was that a conscious decision that you were thinking about or is it naturally the way that you guys decided to run the business? I think I think the business might feel American because I'm American, but really, honestly, like my clientele Predominantly is 80% Asian. That'd be the local Vietnamese, yeah. Japanese, Koreans. Do you think your Vietnamese customers appreciate that it's an authentic American experience and that you're not trying to pander and make it more 
Asian? <laughs> and is that was that was that you what you guys set out to do, or did you just kind of like these are the bars I'm used to, so I'm just going to open a bar like this? No, I think we. I think I think Turtle Lake's adaptive, basically based on our consumers, our customers. Yeah, maybe in the beginning we're like, okay, expats are going to come here, it's an expat bar, but that's not sustainable, especially in Hanoi. So basically, we had to look at who's coming through the door, who's going to keep us around. Obviously, that's the local community. And so we we changed ourselves in our menu, thought about looking about shareable things like that. But also, even when I started to Lake, I knew that I was in Vietnam. And so that's why a lot of my beer brandies have something to do with Vietnam or turtles or something like that, because I'm in the country as a guest making money, not making money, but <laughs> <laughs> trying to make some money, trying to do something. So I, I have to be, I have to get homage to where, I, where I'm at and give respect to them. So I like Turtle Lake, obviously, I know it's a question you're about to ask me. I'll give it to you real quick. So one Kim Lake in the old quarter <laughs> right. is Turtle Lake. Yeah. And when we were looking for the brewery, we found a space in one Kim that we thought we could get. It was like a really cool spot, but it turned out to be owned by the government and that wasn't happening. So by, by that time when we're trying to negotiate, trying to figure out who it was, we came up with the name for Turtle Lake and the logo. And then when we didn't get the place, everything was already set forward. So we moved to the location that we're at now. But for some legitimacy, maybe 2018, Friday night, wing sanity, packed, the place is packed. Ten little baby turtles crawled out from the, from the lake onto the busy terrace and was like, this is cool. So we kept two, threw the rest back. We lost one and threw the rest back. <laughs> And the turtles are now my bar, so it's very auspicious for that. And so I have turtles at the bar, so I, I think I'm legitimate now as being a turtle lake. I love it. Yeah, it's not the turtle lake. It's just, it's a lake with turtles. Exactly now. So we threw the turtles back in there, so I know those turtles in the lake next to me. So there you go. I feel like any lake could be a turtle lake. True. So yeah, you you talked about like creating a vibe at your place, something that we talk a lot about for our tap rooms as well. What's the most important thing that you think of when you think of Turtle Lake Brewing Company? Obviously the beer, number one, but as far as like the, the guest experience at your place, what do you think is the most important thing for that? I, th I think well, atmosphere. Mm. Atmosphere. It comes like, this is an atmosphere I want to be in this somewhere I can drink, spend my money, have a good time. Atmosphere. Use that first impression. Use that, that counts. So you walk in, it's like, you've been to my place, it's green, gray, and it's just lit. And it's okay. just chilled. Not so... Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I wish we had this episode on video. <laughs> was that boom, boom, boom? Was that a reference to the to the music that you? Because like we did want to bring up music a little bit, obviously. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of music do you guys play? They're like everything. As far as like on the playlist, the playlist is Spotify. It really depends on on the night and the mood. I'd like to keep it like house, reggae, hip hop, indie stuff. But every once in a while, I'll play on some heavy metal, play a lot of rock. It just depends on the mood. But, you know, like on Fridays, I have a a chicken wing special event where I have DJs. So I get get out some of the, the good DJs that are playing in Hanoi, and they play for me every Friday. And then I'm starting to incorporate more bands now. So I have bands. I have live music Monday and Wednesdays. And then Saturdays, I have a band perform. So it's, once again, coming to that environment, you want to walk in and say, oh, something's happening here. This is cool. Music's cool. I want to stay. 
So it's about an atmosphere. The music comes up quite a bit. I'm sure it'll be a recurring theme on a lot of our episodes. It's such a big part of being in like a restaurant and, you know, setting the atmosphere for it. And I think it's uh, it's very clear to me that you have a, a really deep understanding of this at some level because you said something that I just picked up on was that you are just trying to fit the energy of whoever's there and that you will adapt and change to whatever you think people are enjoying at the time. And that it's not necessarily the music you want to play. You're just trying to look at your guest and say, hey, I think this is going to help provide the experience they need right now. And oh, man. I've, yeah, I've changed the Spotify, my Spotify plays a few times. Okay. <laughs> I'll let it play. This is what they want. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, overall, but nice atmosphere. And then all, on top of that, service, food, and, you know, they're all, they're all hand in hand. But it's that first impression thing sometimes is what she gets you. Yeah, you mentioned like you got you guys do a lot of events. Obviously, Alex and I have noticed that as well. Going up there, it's it's a really event driven location. Is that because those are like good revenue drivers, or are you just trying to like do something fun for the community, or is it is it important to like keep those those certain events consistent from week to week so that people know what they like? Oh, it's Friday night. I'm going for wings. All of those above. You sorry, know, sorry, that was a lot of questions. That was a lot of questions. <laughs> but the answer all of the above. Yeah, I like events. I'm an event space. I have a I have a good space for it. And I'm also community-based, you know. I, I work within the community as best as possible. So people want to obviously do things at my place because we Turtle Lake is considered to be a safe space. And so there's been a lot of issues in the past with, you know, some women and things like that. And then it obviously we just want Turtle Lake to become a safe space for people to come feel comfortable and invited in that no matter what you are, look like, whatever, you're welcomed to come to Turtle Lake. So I try to cre create that atmosphere once again and therefore i get the events like the the wrestling the drag brunches christmas markets beer festivals so i i, I tether on all different types of events that's why I, I like i like entertaining i like hosting so that's why maybe the place is easy to come to because i everyone's everyone's welcome and so and i think that's why i'm, I'm pretty fortunate about getting the events that's exactly what I was going to say. Like It's about inclusivity and making everyone feel welcome when they come in. That's awesome. So about some specific events, is there anything that you might want to share about running a craft beer festival? I mean, it's in the beginning, it was a lot of work. But I think after a while, once you get the routine through, and I'm not a big venue, you know? I'm not like, what's ABC in California? What's the Great American? What's the big one in the States? What's the biggest beer festival? Uh, the, the Great American Beer Festival, yeah. On that scale, yeah, that's, that's a shitload of work, you know what I mean? That's a lot of logistics. Mine's a little bit smaller, so it's fun. You know, the brewers, fortunately, the brewers all are receptive you know, to what's happening, and they're easy to get along with. Are so they, though? <laughs> anyway, moving on. Where I'm from, up north, <laughs> it works well. You know what I mean? And everyone's cool, collaborative, and so the beer fest's easy, you know. Everyone gets their stuff in there. For me, the biggest obstacle, obviously, is getting people in the door and the weather. I think the weather is my biggest. For the last three beer festivals, rain yeah. every time. So you know how that is. That's, so it's, but it's, it's fun to organize the beer festival. It's really fun. If I could do it bigger, I would. Which brewery is the hardest to deal with? Pasture. Do name Misha, man. This is fucking all over the place, man. That's what we go for. Like, just make a mark, you know? He keeps you got his hand out. He keeps getting God water and all this. And Dan! <laughs> guy sounds like a real jerk. But no, it's, it's cool. It's fun. I mean, it's fun to work next to Misha and the other guys and beer festivals and just talk the shit. You know, everyone gets 
drunker and happier, festive as the hours get later. This is a good experience, you know, when everyone's happy with each other. For sure. So we talked about inclusivity, making everyone feel welcome. Is there a limit to that? Is there anyone that you wouldn't want at your... Oh, can I share a story? Can I share a story? A hundred percent. Oh, this is, you're going to love this. This is uh, the brand, a... sorry. This is a brand new segment to the podcast. It's called Storytime with Lamont. Yeah. You <laughs> even did your own music. So this could be embarrassing for me, but I'm going to say it anyway. So we just had an event two weeks ago. We had a drag bingo. Had a comedian come on stage that said that he was a drag queen comedian that didn't happen. So he flew up. Yeah, he's from Saigon. So he came up and did his performance, which was horrible. And then he proceeded to get really weird and drunk and flopping around like a, I don't know, like a elephant with his head chopped off. I don't know what you call it. And, and then he got really weird with my guest at the table. I started crying. Emotional. Emotional. Emo- you know, this is disturbing my guests. I'm like, could you please? So the people who were always like, hey, this guy is kind of weird. And so I'm like, sir, you know, can you, can you, what's wrong? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. So it's like, but, um, you know, you're kind of disturbing my guests. Leave me alone. So I left him alone, got him some water. And then he's still acting weird. And then some customers started talking to him, calmed him down. And then he was still acting a little weird. But then he got up, started dancing again. I think he was on drugs. But then actually, no, he sits back down. This is what happens right here. Pulls down his pants, whips out his dick, and pisses right on my terrace. How about that? I'm like, dude, and I walk up to dude like, dude, what the fuck? Put that shit away. And he's like, leave me alone. It's okay. <laughs> leave me alone? You're pissing on my fucking Fucking pissing. And <laughs> yes. And there's video. I'm really sorry. I was out of it that day. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Banned. Other cool events I'm doing, I opened a haunted house. I'm building a haunted house. Yes. Do you do that every year? This is my second one. But I, I would think I'm the only haunted house in maybe Hanoi or Vietnam. Is there one here? I don't. Th- I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm building a haunted house. I definitely can't think of a haunted brewery. Haunted beers. Why a haunted house? Uh, why a haunted house? Yeah. Why is this the thing? Like, uh, it, it could be a, a big Thanksgiving dinner. Or it could be like a Santa Claus. You I do that sit too. on the lap. Oh, <laughs> I, there we go. Okay. <laughs> do that too. Bobbing for apples. You put apples on a string now. It's not. It's not hygienic anymore. Right. You got DPC now. I just think that's really cool. Like I'm actually you know, talking with my wife and we're going to fly up to Hanoi just to go to a haunted house because that's something that I love doing as a kid. She loved doing as a kid and literally worth making a trip to a whole different city so that like we could do that as a family and have a cool experience. They're fun. I love haunted houses. So my reason for it, A, I have the space and why the fuck not? It's my fucking business now. I can do what I want. I'm a big boy now. I want a haunted house. <laughs> I love it. So I built a fucking haunted house, dude. And it, it was really cool. The first one we did in 2020, right during the pandemic. 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 <laughs> you like that? Pandemic. <laughs> and it was, it was successful, you know. We had five rooms, and we, we did a fair amount of people through. And then I couldn't do anything yet, obviously, for, during the COVID situation. So now that we're back open, I'm building a haunted house. And I have a good team with me. It takes about a month to build out. And I scare the shit out of you. I love that. It sounds like it's the uh, the inner like ten year old coming out. What are you gonna do when you grow up? I'm gonna have my own haunted house. It's gonna have all this beer everywhere. It's Drunk gonna people, be awesome. Drunk people going through it. Yeah, it's great. What could go wrong? So yeah, <laughs> that's how Alex runs the business as well. Why the fuck not? I'm a big boy. I can do what I want. Do what I want. 
But no, I think that's the fun of you know when you when you're able to have the space to, to do something like this. And I, I, also, yeah, it's a haunted house because it's cool, but also it's good marketing. It's bringing people to my restaurant that's never been before. Yeah, it just seems very maybe authentic. If you're doing a haunted house, it's like probably not like the idea didn't originate from this is going to be the next thing that is the most profitable revenue driver for our company. Probably started off with this is going to be something really fun to do. And then, and that's where it starts, like doing something fun. And then you start working in, okay, are we going to lose a bunch of money or is it a marketing um, opportunity? But it seems like it started from this would just be really fucking cool to try. Yeah, it's really cool to try. And also, you know, the first one I went a wild on my budget, but you know, this one, I'm a little more controlled, you know, so, <laughs> but yeah, but it's marketing, maybe you're not going to, it's not going to be profitable. Maybe you'll you just make your money back recover. But like I say, it, the value that you give for people who have never been to your place that will come back now is worth it in a golden sense, you know, and it also gives you a good reputation because they're going to drink when they go down there because they're waiting. So you might get a couple of revenue sales from just from downstairs. The haunted house itself might not be profitable, but the experience and overall that people come back, that's what you're looking for. What are your thoughts on uh, kids being at bars, breweries? Once again, I'm a community space. I'm family friendly. I, I, I don't mind it. But, you know, I think maybe after 10, 9, 10, maybe you could kind of like, okay, let's keep this more adult friendly because there's, I've, I've known a lot of teachers who don't want to come to my place because they don't want to see their st- parents or their students while they're drinking off the work. You know, you know kind of want to diss themselves. So they're like, no, I can't really go to your place because I might bump to a parent. And so this is something to deal with. But, you know, parents come, they spend money, they spend a lot of money, and then you got to find a balance between the two. I've always noticed, like, like being a father, um, that, you know, there's certain bars that it would just wouldn't even cross my mind to go to with my daughter. But almost any, like, craft beer bar or brewery is usually on the list of, yeah, this wouldn't be a problem. Like, the energy inside, like, a craft beer place, it's not super aggressive. It's, like, more chilled out and, like you said, family-friendly. But I didn't know if you had seen anything like that with, like, craft beer specifically being, like, a, a family-type drinking experience almost like the parents want to go there and it's not so crazy that you feel comfortable to take a kid their kids are behaved some parents have some bad kids you're like dude you need to calm your shit down <laughs> you know parents some parents recognize it and they calm their kids down but other times other parents is like dude i'm gonna get drunk because this fuckers are crazy and i'm gonna let them run around and cause havoc but it's a balance you know what i mean i i'm not gonna say i only for adults and not for families because the revenue for both is it's, it's you know what you want you want a place for people to come i always go i always go back and forth on it it's like yeah i do like, too. yeah it's like an awesome spot it's just like another restaurant it's a great place to go hang out but then there's seven should they be around a bunch of beer i don't know like from some of some of the events that we host now we're trying to make it a an age appropriate thing so like drag brunches now are no longer for kids we're not always not family friendly anymore the wrestling that we do won't be family friendly so Sorry to break the rules a month ago. I was going to. Yeah. But but Car my daughter. Couch, you know, VIP. Alex is in the house. You know. My daughter really enjoyed it, though. She thought it was awesome. <laughs> my daughter goes all the time, too. You know, it's just, you know but it's for the, more for the queens. And the, maybe the guests are, feel uncomfortable with the kid running around, you know. Even though the kid might be cool as shit. Yeah, I think you made a good point about it. it's really up to the parents to make sure that, you know, the kids are old enough to behave. You know, we've got. In some of our tap rooms, we've got shuffleboard tables, foosball, the big blocks of Jenga. Like when these kids are smashing big wooden Jenga blocks into the shuffleboard table and their parents are like just watching them do it. And then it's, hey, no, 
that's not acceptable behavior anywhere. Please, can you please. Uh, and you know, you're not going to yell at the kid because they don't know they're just sometimes running. Sometimes they're being assholes. <laughs> but no, yeah, like you know, it's like we got this nice new pool table at the place, and then this woman had her her young baby like walking all over it in her muddy shoes. And just, what world is that appropriate? How about this one? How do you deal with this one? The local family comes in with their son or daughter. And gives them beer. Uh, absolutely not. We we're, we're very strict about that. You you got to be eighteen to drink. So that, that's something that just from a, a moral standpoint as well as a legal and governance standpoint, like you just don't break rules like that. Do you see that a lot? Not often, but I've seen. It. Yeah, no, for sure. I can't recall ever seeing it at a, at any of our tap rooms, but I'm sure it's. I mean, but I mean, like in Europe, in some places, fifteen or sixteen is like a drinking age, and you know, like. I don't feel the need to get in the middle of that. We're just going to obey the law. Yeah, I do the law, but you see it because they're like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not okay. No, if they're young, young, you know, 15, 16, it's like, you know, that at that point, it's up to the parents to, to you know, know their children, what they can handle. But, and obviously, they shouldn't be sitting around getting smashed. But yeah, when you when you see young kids and the parents are like, ah, it's like, uh, no, we got to put a stop to this. I could definitely say when I was like 16, it's like, ah, there's going to be a party. Let's go get some beer. Craft beer never once popped into my head. <laughs> it was just the beast. You know, natural white. Natty ice. Mike's what hard a, lemonade. It was the cheapest and tasted close enough to Cisco. water. Here you go. Interesting fact. <laughs> We're just going to name all the shitty beers and alcohol that we Mickey's. Drink. Was it Mickey's? Little green like little bottles. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mickey's is awesome. I go to in that, that realm, though, would be St. Ives. St. Ives. I have an interesting fact. I didn't drink beer until I was 23. And that all changed when I moved to um, Denmark. Like you never tried a beer? Or you I tried really a beer, a beer I, I didn't really drink. I didn't really drink. I bought my first bottle. I got denied my first bottle one day before my birthday at a liquor store. Kind of ruined me forever. And then... What? It's in, in America, it's 21, yeah? 21. For so, the whole country? So on the day before my birthday, like, dude, it's like six more hours of my birthday. Guys, come yeah. back tomorrow. Like, you're a dick. And then when I went back the next day. Get a bottle. The friends I'm with, his brother fucking smashed his foot and had to go to the hospital. So I need to drink. And so I really gave up on drinking. Then I moved to Denmark. And then the, the Danes are like, You don't drink? I'm like, no, that'll change. And then beer became opened up to me. Drinking, you know, Tuborg, Elephant Beer, Carlsberg, and all that shit. Not shit, beer. <laughs> Sorry. As of now, what would be your favorite beer to drink these days? If you had to pick a beer, this is your beer. That Pasture Double IPA. It's, it's on the way. And then on top of that, what album are you going to be listening to while you drink this beer? Oh, shit. Nirvana. No, no I was, I went, I don't have a favorite beer per se. I'm not going to say even for my, my own beers, my own beers. I, I really enjoyed Drake's. We did the beer review on it. That, the party, the party block. Block party. Block party. I really enjoyed that one. That was really good. I like beer. People ask me what's my favorite musician. I can't say. I like music. I'm not going to give it one specific. I can't. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm a big movie guy. Yeah. What's your favorite movie? Like, I'll give you my top five. Yeah, even yeah, that, that's, even like that's the, tough. The like, that's tough for me. So I don't, I don't really like to be too specific on, you know, what I would do. Music I play, I don't know. Depends on, once again, the mood. Yeah. But usually, like, if you hit play on my headphones now, probably be some Deep House, probably. Probably listen to our disco. Because I like this guy. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. House Pasture? Please do. House Pasture? It's going great, man. Is it? You open a location? 
Yeah, just opened um, one here in Saigon. We actually tried to open one in Hanoi, and then we ran into probably some of the stuff you were talking about, where we thought we had like an agreement, and then it just fell apart. So that was you know disappointing, but yeah, still still growing. We were you know making it through because it's tough having restaurants and and breweries, and you can't sell beer or operate a restaurant for months at a time. But yeah, back out of it and as busy as ever so it's it's fun to get back in this uh, this mindset i can see it on like everybody on the team's faces it's hey we're, we're growing you know we're, we're we're back to to what we're used to doing like providing awesome experiences introducing more people to craft beer expanding your business and man that's just a lot more fun than covid times where you're just like is there any cost that i can cut to make sure we stay alive for the next month or two so yeah i guess uh sucks we had to go through it but definitely feel stronger on the other side almost all of our team was able to stay through covid so i think that was uh really cool um it was it made it easy to get started again you know as we we're opening up it was like the same team so we all knew what was up question is it better to distribute or open multiple tap rooms i think both are really important and i think they feed into each other absolutely yeah yeah no people come however you experience our beer for the first time whether it's at one of our tap rooms or at you know another bar or restaurant that sells our beer you know, you have that experience for the first time. And if you like it, which most people do, then they want to seek it out. So if you have Jasmine IPA for the first time at, at the hotel that you're staying at, in the hotel bar, yeah, you're like, oh, what's this? I've never heard of it. It's my first time in Vietnam. Where's the brewery? You know, there's information on our cans that you can help go to our website and find our tap rooms. And then, boom, you come in, you got 11 other new beers of ours to try. And alternatively, you know, if your first experience is at one of our tap rooms, like, oh, I love this beer. And then as you're spending the rest of your vacation, or if you live here, you know, you're going around, you're saying, oh, I know that beer. I tried it at their place. So for sure, for us, it's, we've always felt that, you know, tap rooms are, are more lucrative, you know, because the fewer buffers you have between your beer and your clients, the more money you're going to make off it. But also, you know, having distribution, having a wide range having our, our logo up around the country, people seeing our brand, it's massively important to getting. So what, 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 what are your values? You asked me the question, what what do you want from the customer when they come to Pasture? I'm going to throw it back at you. We, we actually, um, when we were getting started, we never planned on having a taproom. We were just going to have it, uh, our original spot on Pasteur Street was going to be our office. And then we were going to build it out like, like a full craft beer, like American craft beer experience and invite managers of restaurants or hotels out to, to drink the beer in that environment and really explain hands-on like, why, why would you want to pay this much for a beer? And let them see the quality ingredients and how much work goes into making these recipes. And we thought that was going to be needed because there wasn't a story behind it. Like it, it just craft beer really didn't exist in any like meaningful way, I think, in Vietnam at that time. So we knew we had to tell the story of craft beer. And then it was about a month before we were um, opening that we just started seeing all this interest from consumers like directly. Hey, can I come in and try the beer? So we were just like, man, actually, in, instead of having this big marketing budget that we were planning on, why not have tap rooms that, that really convey your whole brand experience and that your servers can know about the brewing process and answer questions about these beers and explain why, why we love them so much. Whereas if we're, you know, just selling our beer on tap at all these different restaurants, we, you have a lot less control. Uh, about like how that beer might be presented. And we thought with it being such a new segment, it is, I would say just pretty much non-existent. Um, 
in Vietnam that we knew that that was going to be something really important to to get the um, the message across that we wanted to about why we love craft beer. From there, um, you know, like restaurants, like they, they have a revenue generation side, but for us, it's always been about more of a marketing side, like just having this awesome experience. And then, and then it's really cool to see other restaurants maybe even pick up on that. And they're like, yeah, we don't want just one beer on tap. We're, we're going to build our own walk-in cooler and have 12 beers on tap because I can see that you know, customers like this, um, this wider selection of beers and some flavor differentiation inside that. So I think it's, yeah, for us, it's, yeah, they make money, but it's really more about marketing and trying to expose more people to craft beer in a really cool setting. I mean, that was literally what we were saying when we were building it out as the tap room, like what is the, the goal if you can sum it up in one sentence. And it's, we had just got here from Colorado and it was like, you should be able to pick this up and place it on Pearl Street in Boulder, Colorado. And the atmosphere, the service, the beer quality would be to the point where it would just be successful in like in a really big craft beer city and to not cut any corners and just do the best version of craft beer that you think you could. Throw the question one more time back to you. So you consider yourself an American style type of business brewery? You know, we've always... It, you know, we started the company here. It wasn't that it wasn't a, that we were making these beers in the states and moved it over here. We're very proud to be Vietnamese. Obviously, you know, you Did know, you? we, we <laughs> you know, not to get too too much into the sales part, but you asked the question. Yeah, no, of course. You know, we we put local ingredients into all of our beers. Like we wanted to root the beer here in Vietnam. That was always John and Alex's vision and goal from the start. Was that we're not an American brewery in Vietnam. We're a Vietnamese brewery that uses, you know, American styles and American techniques, but also it's very Vietnamese beer. We couldn't make this beer anywhere else. It would be different if we made it somewhere else. And that was always really important to us. And, you know, I think a lot of our Vietnamese customers especially really appreciate that part of it. You think the local Vietnamese brewers or breweries are adapting? I think that's actually one of the single biggest things that gives me confidence for the success of craft beer in Vietnam moving forward is seeing these passionate local folks that are discovering these beer flavors and they could they could pick any job. They're like, I could go to be an engineer, I could work for my family company, I could be a teacher, whatever. And they're like, you know what? My passion is beer and I want to start a craft brewery. And they are pouring their probably savings, all of their time and energy into that. And when that happens, they're going to spread the word to, to their, their friends and their family and their customers about how cool this craft beer thing is. And I think anybody who's in craft beer knows that you don't just pick one beer from one brewery and that's all I drink. You you like to explore the different flavors, try beers from different places. And I think it's just something that's going to bring people into the wider community of craft beer. And and as long as we just keep that positive, that's always going to be something that somebody likes hanging out. Like You, you go into this one brewery and see some people and then you go into this other craft brewery you're seeing a lot of familiar faces people into the same sort of you know experience and flavors and what they're drinking and want a story behind it and some authenticity and yeah but i think it's really cool seeing local people just be like having a craft brewery is an option that's that's an idea and i think that that for me is a very strong signal that this is something people want and want more of yeah, I think you guys in the South are definitely the, the your clientele down here are a little more ambitious for craft beer, you know. Whereas Hanoi is a little more of a struggle. You guys don't know trying to get that local community to accept craft beer, but I think 
There's some pioneers in Hanoi that are doing it and spreading the word, but it's still a struggle. We almost started in Hanoi. I remember you guys were the first craft beer I tried. Um, you did a festival with Tanya way back in the day when she was doing beer festivals, and I saw you guys like... <gasps> We actually thought Hanoi would be better than Saigon to start the company because well, aren't you glad to, I'm, I'm happy you guys are down there. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. What, what we saw was that at the time there was a, a really like vibrant drinking culture in Saigon, but it was very loud. Like you said, boom, 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 like this big club and crazy environment. And we just we didn't know how craft beer might fit into that. But when we went to Hanoi, there was like these little you know uh coffee shop down this little alley where people were having conversations and it, a lot it seemed like a deep appreciation for this product quality and the authenticity and the story behind it and we thought that like people up there would be you know it'd be an easier sell to to be like this type of beer is what you might want to drink but then we started off in saigon just because we had more of a network here we knew more bar and restaurant people that would be interested in carrying it and uh, John, he knew Saigon a lot better than Hanoi. So we actually just chose Saigon because we had more of a network, I guess. I remember there were three gentlemen at my bar, and we were trying to tell them, like, what crap beer was like. Well, I wouldn't want to drink a beer that's made in Vietnam. You know, and they're like, for me, uh, an export or import beer would be like Chimay, Stellar Trois, you know, Lefay, all this. And we're like trying to tell them, like, this is good beer. And they're like, oh, I don't know about that. Why, you know, it's made in Vietnam, it's going to be shit. And so we had to go through this whole spiel and try to tell them this is why it makes craft beer so special. And they got it and they got drunk and they had their shirts up and had a good old time afterwards. No, we we thought about that too, though. And we actually looked to another our company that, that was doing that sort of thing, uh, Maru Chocolate. And, and that was, uh, I think, cool for me because that was like one of our ideas starting up is that we wanted to have something that like you could be really proud of being from Vietnam, knowing that our craft beer is like world-class. And um, that's why we always try and, you know, enter our beers in foreign beer competitions. Did you guys and, enter? And export around. Yeah, yeah, we, we try and participate in quite a few. And For Seabrew, you mean? Yeah. Asian Beer Championships. Yeah, we got our entries in eventually. How many did you guys do? How many did you put in? I can't remember. It was, it was, it was like 10-ish, 10-ish maybe? They can't tell me. <laughs> About 10. That's fair. I did six. What yeah, I always I mean, say about competitions too, though, is you got to participate in the ones that are doing an honest competition, that are really bringing the craft beer community together. And then it's your responsibility to participate. And, you know, if you win a medal, you should be really proud about winning a medal. And that's something that, you know, not too you easy should celebrate. But if you don't win a medal, also, there's lots of great beers that don't win medals. So I try and like to say the participation is fun and that's great if you win. But, um, making sure that that brewers participate in these things that bring everybody together and you see each other as real people not like these competing businesses i think that attitude just bleeds out to customers who are like maybe they work for a tire factory and if like they got caught like hanging out with the dudes from the other tire factory it would be like firestone yeah yeah, like you're out man like you don't hang out with the competition and i think bad in the U.S. at least, uh, I don't, I'm not so sure it's seen here, but in the U.S. at least, like customers picked up on that and they were just like, dude, I want to start my own brewery. You get to actually be friends with like your competitors. So what do you the tell industry. them? I want to start my own brewery. What do you tell them? If, if someone comes to us and is like, I want to start my own brewery, what, what kind of advice would you give? I think we should go around the room and answer that. I'll go first. Don't do it. Have a good lawyer account. I told, I, told, I told them the market's already saturated and it won't work. <laughs> Have a good lawyer and accountant. 
No, but sorry, the, the the real answer, the honest answer is like, you know, I'm I I was a bartender first and then now I'm in you sales. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to give anybody advice about opening up a craft brewery. But I love drinking good beer. So if someone's passionate about it and they're going to be making good beer, they're going to be value add to the community, then absolutely they should go ahead with it. I I'm not worried about competition. I'm I'm encouraged when I drink awesome beers from other people and it gives me confidence that the craft beer industry is strong and healthy and and is going to be around long term. The only the biggest fear for me with craft beer is like people who make beers that aren't great. If people try that for the first time and they're like, "Oh, that's craft beer." You know, it's it's not the greatest. So yeah, someone wants to start a brewery and they know what they're doing and they make awesome beers. Fuck yeah. Go on with it. Anytime that that I get that question, I just say, what do you want to know? And absolutely. And I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Like even internally, like within the company, you know, try and ask questions. Hey, you know, you're you're bartending right now. Do you know what it is that you want to do with your life? Do you have a long-term vision or goal? And it's okay if you don't, but if you do, please share it. Because if like your goal is to run your own business one day, then I can start looping you in on stuff at work. So that will give you like the skills and the knowledge or, you know, I've started a couple breweries and then helped consult with some other people who had started some. And like, I have lots of like documents and stuff that I can just redact some names or numbers from and just say, hey, this was a successful business plan. For, for this type of concept, or this was, you know, something, here's a spreadsheet that really helped me do demand planning and forecasting. Here's something on a restaurant culture side that can be really helpful and, and just try and like share, but probably not if they come to me and they're just like, I'm trying to make a shit ton of money. Can you help me make this really <laughs> profitable? I'm just like, I just get this impression that whatever whatever comes out of that is probably just going to be like not great for the community. And then also like if I'm going to share information with you, like you're going to have to pay. Your time is my time is valuable for your shitty beer. <laughs> yeah, like maybe I could share, but like at least you're going to have to pay because I just I don't know. But if somebody's passionate and they want to do it, man, that that's how I learn. People share with me. Like people taught me how to brew. I, th I think for me uh, as a whole, at least get into this business new. And I could say about everyone, my experience with everyone, the breweries here in Vietnam, most of them, I feel that if I, I have, a, if I had an issue, I feel confident that I could probably talk to them and they would help me out. You know what I mean? They might not give me the, the exact answer completely, but they'd be willing to go out of their way a little bit to help me out, give me the answers I want. Sometimes. Yep. And I, I, I like that. That's cool. Everyone here is really cool. And they're, you know, they're all, everyone's trying to run a business, but everyone's still community-based in a sense. Yeah. So there was one, one time I was talking to the owner of a brewery who had their beers on at a place that I really wanted to get our beers in. And we were having trouble getting in touch with a manager or an owner there. And I knew the guy pretty well. So I just messaged him like, hey, you know, I saw you guys are on here. Do you mind passing me a contact with someone? And he's like, sorry, Misha, I'm not going to do that. If you need the name of a supplier, a distributor, a contact, I'm happy to share any of that. I just don't feel comfortable giving out my client's personal contact info. And I thought that was completely fair. It's <laughs> genuine. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's it. Like when I, when someone asks me, I kind of like have to think about the person who it is, how well, I, like the relationship I have with the client. And I'll usually just ask them like, hey, someone from this brewery wanted to talk to you. Do you want me to put you in touch or not? And just let that guide it. For sure, it is about community. and But there's also like certain boundaries that's, you know, your job is to sell beer. 
Maybe you should go make a sales call and, uh, <laughs> and then do your job. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not going to give you all the cheat codes. Yeah, no, no, I don't expect full answers, but you know, sometimes you have a question like, hey. Well, it's just, <laughs> and and that's it. Like his answer was so reasonable. There's no way I could be like, oh, come on, man. And I was just like, yeah, that's fair. I understand. I don't, he wasn't upset that I asked, and I certainly wasn't upset that he said no. It was just, it was a reasonable conversation between two adults, which is the way it should be. It doesn't always happen. Mm, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're in the tougher side of it too, because like brewers always get along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's recorded. <laughs> Come on, like guys that brew beer, like at the brewery where you're battling the tanks and the yeast and uh, like making sure the quality is on point. You can always get along. It's sales side is tough, though. Alex, I would agree that brewers get along more and easier with each other than sales guys would mostly but what what did you say exactly what was the quote <laughs> all brewers get along from what i see <laughs> i guess like anybody like could be just a dick yeah but it's not because they're like pitted against each other with their jobs it's like this guy's just gonna be a dick anyways no 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 100 percent. and that's that's an observation that i made there was there was someone here like years ago who was giving an interview and he and the interviewer asked him which hops were in his IPA, and he made some crack about I'd sooner show you a picture of my wife than than tell you my hop recipe. But then when I'm going when I'm when I've gone to these international beer events, most of the brewers I meet, they're like, "Hey, how did you do that? That's really cool. I love that beer." And they're very open and honest. And these are guys with way more experience, way more talent because they're they're secure. They they don't mind sharing because they like not only don't they mind sharing they want to share because someone else is, yeah someone else is giving them a compliment of their beer like well, how did you do that I don't know how to do that how did you do it it's like oh dude it was awesome I did this and this and this and you know you're showing off a little bit but also you're just proud of your work and what you've done and we've talked about it before like some breweries share their recipes online on the internet anybody can do it that's and I feel like that's the right attitude like if if you if someone else makes a jasmine IPA. And they think they can do it better than us. Take a crack, man. Go at it. Like, that's our best-selling beer. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> Turtle Lake Jasmine IPA launching this weekend. <laughs> if somebody is making a better Jasmine IPA than we are, the last thing that I'm going to be thinking is like, what the fuck? Screw this guy. It's going to be like, why can't you do better? Why, why are you not able to make a better Jasmine IPA? It's more of an internal challenge thing. It's not like you can't grow something by just trying to keep other people down, withholding information, keeping trade secrets, make it harder for other craft brewers to operate. If you make it easy and you share everything, there's going to be more craft breweries. They're going to have better tasting beer. And that's that's kind of the, the goal at the end of the day when you're this tiny fraction of the beer market. Your goal is to make that tiny fraction just a little bit bigger. It's not to like steal customers back and forth from, you know, other places. It's like that. It's like sounds exhausting and probably really expensive and just not really helpful for anyone. And it seems, you know, uh, maybe there's a point like 30, 50 years in the future where just like craft beer is is the mainstream beer. And then it starts getting like that. But, man, I, I just think there's way more opportunity in sharing what we do with people that don't know about it. Lamont, did you answer the question about? I, I think, think I, I, I want to say about that, what, I say, what advice would you give to someone who, if someone came to you and wanted to open a craft brewery? <laughs> <laughs> it was your own question. Hey, I, who's asking the question? Who's whose podcast is this right? <laughs> yeah, I'm the one asking the question. It's awesome. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we should do a beer festival, and I'm just gonna, you know, we'll talk to the marketing team. I'm like, just call him on. He's gonna give you all the details. Yeah. <laughs> we got this. Word. Well, and Lamont would say, uh, "You got to talk to my staff. I don't do any of that. I don't do that shit, man." <laughs> I'm over there drinking beer, being a host. Speaking about staff. Um, oh, shit. What? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's just the customers that, that go from brewery to brewery. Mm. I think it's the team. We have a lot of people that have worked for us that work for other craft breweries now. Is that the same for you? No, no not actually for us. No, actually not, surprisingly. But no, I don't. I really haven't had anyone that has worked for another, apart from my long eye and my brewer. No. Mm-mm. I feel that's interesting that you mentioned that because like, I feel like, and maybe this is an observation that I made years ago and I'm just like sticking with it now, even if it's not as true, but I feel like we don't have that many staff that have, that like jump from brewery to brewery. You know, and I know a lot of people do like go in other tap rooms. Some kids like, <laughs> you know, we were, <laughs> we were at someone's tap room one time again, years ago and this kid walked by and was like, oh, he worked at that place last week, right? And yeah, yeah, no, he just started here this week. The owner was saying this. Yeah, I just hired him. It was like his first night. You know, he'll probably be at that other place next week. Who knows? Like, that's, you know, for some for some people, it's like they find an industry or a segment of an industry and then they like jump around. And, you know, they're young kids. The grass is always greener. Like, oh, they're going to pay me a little bit more per hour? Let me do that. And then they get there and say, oh, this place sucks. <laughs> Let me go find the next one. Like, I don't so, see that, actually. I, I, don't, I don't see that the grass is greener. I see it like uh, somebody who's like a supervisor of a tap room, and they're wanting to move up and grow in their career, and that we already have full staff of general managers, but this other place is needing a general manager, and they can make this vertical move. And it's like, you, you got to like, support that every time. I feel like we've gotten there. As an industry, I'm talking again. I said this is an observation I made years ago. Like that, it was there was a lot of that early on when you know it was a lot of new breweries, a lot of new tap rooms, and a lot of the younger kids were like just you know their eyes were mad. Oh. I think it's cool. I see people moving around a lot, but it's always vertical moves. It's hey, I've been you know a bartender here, and now there's an option to go to this place, but to be the manager or. Hey, you know, like I've been making beer for this company, and now I think I have the opportunity to start my own company. I see a lot of that. For me, I guess, my perspective is I see it as like usually vertical moves that the company isn't able to provide. They wish they could, but it's just like you don't have the job at the time. And it's like no hard feelings. If you get an opportunity to like take a step up in your career within the same industry, I don't really follow anybody for taking that option. Do you have a prerequisite that your staff would drink beer? Is there an image <laughs> that you're looking for as for your beer tenders and – no, is there is there something that you, there's there's no what's the word I'm looking for? There's no no, <laughs> there's no quotient. You know, <laughs> you know, there's there's not a minimum amount of beers that our our staff have to drink per month to to. Qualify. No, I'm just wondering. I have staff who don't drink beer. Yeah, they don't. You know, so as a prerequisite that they have to they 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 drink beer. You know, in a sense, like they are beer drinkers to work at Pasture because obviously they're representing your brand. No, no, no. They just have to be knowledgeable about our beer. Yeah, but you know. Are you knowledgeable, but can you be passionate about it? What's more important? I think someone can be passionate about the craft beer industry without being a beer drinker. The industry, but what about your particular product, though? I think they can be passionate about our brand without being a, without being a beer drinker. If they're proud of one of our first employees, who's now our HR manager, like obviously she's drunk beers, but she doesn't drink a lot. But I remember early days talking to her, like we both started out behind the bar. She was she's still one of the most passionate employees we've ever had, and not just about her work and her job, but about the brand. I remember coming back one time 
or she was coming back from uh, maternity leave. And while she was gone, it was like when East West, Heart of Darkness, Belgo, Winking Seal, when all those guys opened around the same time. And so we were just talking about all the different breweries now. And she's asking me, like, oh, how are they? And, you know, I'm like, oh, this one's good at this. This one's good at this. You know, just going over it. And at the end, she just turns to me with a smile. And she's like, but we're still the best, right? And, you know, it's because that's she takes pride in in our company. And that's why she's amazing at her job. It's not because she drinks the most beer. Yeah, not not until quantity is or beer drinkers in general. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. But she, she, I remember like when we were on slow shifts, she was like Googling craft beer. She wanted to just learn more and more and more and more. So she was passionate about the brand and the process and the industry without being a big drinker. No, I, I don't think that, I don't think that you have to drink a lot of beer to be good at your job working for a, a craft brewery. Unless you're working in sales. I had a great response to a question like that. Like another example, I was like, I realized that my question was like, just probably not very good, but it was an interview and I was like, all right, you've got a lot of experience, but you don't have experience in hospitality, right? Um, are you worried about that coming on? And he's like, you know, before this, I was working in like pet food and I've never had a pet or eaten pet food. And before that it was like tires and I've never had a car. And, um, then, you know, I was selling like these electrical engineering products and I'm not even a math guy, but I just kind of realized it was like connecting like the, you know, like what the, the owners of the business or the, the vision, the values of the business were with what customers wanted and just like making that connection and then making that connection is something that they were happy about. That was like valuable work is like aligning people's interests that wanted to have jobs and wanted to do whatever with people that wanted to have an experience. And I was like, once again, I was like, your answer is way better than my question. Yeah. <laughs> Just similar to that, I remember we were looking for a uh, a sales guy to focus on off-trade. It's like grocery stores, supermarkets, retail chains. And this kid was recommended to me. I interviewed him. He had a ton of sales experience. He didn't know anything about craft beer. Not a thing. But his previous job was working with all of the clients that he'd be working with with us. But he was selling uh, women's cosmetics. This is a young guy, shy, quiet, like... He doesn't fucking use makeup. <laughs> like, he doesn't know the first thing about it. Not that he doesn't know the first thing about it. He doesn't know the first thing about using it for his personal life. But I'm like, this guy's been selling ladies cosmetics for the last three years. I think I can teach him how to sell beer. <laughs> like I can teach him enough about beer that he'll be really good at that job. And he was great. There's a lot of similar similarities between craft beer and ladies makeup. <laughs> They're both beautiful. <laughs> there it is. Well, you're, you're shocked after it comes off. <laughs> I hope some people got that. <laughs> so fact or fiction, Misha, you usually introduce the segment, so I figured I would today. Um, hey. There we go. Big man's doing something. Yeah, so fact or fiction, um, you know, like there's, I guess, two answers. You can say this is fact or this is fiction, but... This is why I usually introduce it. Solomon. <laughs> go ahead. Solomon. <laughs> yes. On every pod, we like to wrap it up with a segment that we call Fact or Fiction. All right. I'm going to hit you with a few statements, and then you can confirm whether they're fact or fiction. And if there's like a little story coming out of it, go ahead and tell I'll, it. I'll and if you quick. just want to leave it to one... No, no, don't. If, if you've got something, great. Hit us with it. If you want to just leave it to the one-word response, you can do that as well. Fact or Fiction. Turtle Lake is the biggest craft brewery in Hanoi. I plead the fifth. Okay. <laughs> 
that's a, that's a, um that's a, um fiction. Okay. Well, obviously biggest can mean different things and I was intentionally uh ambiguous. Okay. Just just to see what you would say. But no. Not. Okay. No. Uh fact or fiction, your head brewer is female. Yes, she is. Long Island, she's awesome. She is the heart of Turtle Lake. She is she's awesome. She is awesome. She did a beer review. She did a beer review. Oh, did, yeah, she did do a beer review. She right now she's judging in um Singapore. Oh, that's awesome. We didn't get invited to Singapore. No, no, I know, right? Should we talk to Charles about that? Like, fact or fiction, Turtle Lake's taproom will have a new home in the near future. Yeah, but, you know, not by choice, really. But right. yeah, shit's happening, but hopefully not. But yeah, but, uh, inevitably, yes, I would like to have a second tap. Oh, is it still up in the air that you get? Like, I, uh, there's some construction bullshit. No, That's you know, like we say, okay. politics. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to elaborate more than that. Fact or fiction, you feel like a black Joe Rogan right now. Oh, shit. I thought it was Donald Trump. <laughs> Moving on. Lamont, fact or fiction, American craft beer is the best craft beer. Bullshit. Americans make okay. really great beers. I think great beer could be everywhere. I won't say anyone's particularly to say it's the best beer. You know? I guess that being PC. No, I think you're being honest. But I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not shooting on American brewers. American no, does make not. great beers. You know, but I, I like Belgian beers. I like, you know, beers from all around the world. So I'm going to say America's the best. Awesome. No, no, I just, I, I appreciate meeting an American with a little bit of humility. You know, make America great again. Fact or fiction, you enjoy cooking food more than brewing beer? That would have to be a fact because, you know, I'm not a brewer per se. So yeah, Alex cook. wrote that one. Are you under the impression that Lamont's a brewer? I've done my share in cleaning in the brewery. You started a brewery and you were home brewing. No, no. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. No, I'm not a brewer. Oh, wow. Uh, I, thought, I, I, thought I am. You I am. I have plans, and I have worked in the brewery, yes. I, I, I do know the process. I do know how to put one together. I have a little experience, but I'm not a brewer per se. Mm. But I do understand the aspects of what beer, how beer is made. I can give a beer tour. I do understand the process. I love learning something new. I I'd always assumed that you had brewed beer at some point. a black man trying to get my hustle on that. <laughs> Fair enough. Respect the hustle. All right. Fact or fiction, an actual turtle lives on the bar at your tap room, and her name is Glenda. Fuck no. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? No. It's actually, it's, um, what's the names are they? Oh, shit. They do have names. My daughter named them. Oh, nice. Fiction is good. You can just say. Oh, I'm sorry. That was a long, sorry. That was, that was fiction. <laughs> Lamont, fact or fiction, Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music is the best Outcast album. Word. Word. From ATL. Absolutely. Love it. Fact or fiction, brewers always show up sober and on time to beer festivals. Complete the fifth. <laughs> I can confirm that that is fiction. I show I show up on time for beer festivals. Sober is uh, a lot to ask. Last one, fact or fiction, the Claremont Lounge is the best bar in Atlanta. Oh, word. Yeah, absolutely. How do you know about the Claremont? Did they tell you? I went to Atlanta last year. Uh, oh, not yeah. Not last year. Sorry, oh, like fun? three years ago. It's fun, I had a it? great time. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome, man. I actually got me a Claremont t-shirt on this last trip. Yes. Yeah. For those who know, will know. But if you yeah. don't know, the Claremont's the CD. Can I tell the story? Hundred percent. Can wait, wait. Do you have a uh, favorite performer? Blondie. Okay. What about Peep? Pete. I don't know Pete. What about Peep? What about Peep? This was like nine, nine years, years ago. ago. She might not be there anymore. I remember Blondie. Okay. So yeah, so Claremont's is a little CD bar on, on Ponce, Atlanta. Bar. Well, no, it was a hotel. Well, actually, it's a hotel, and the, the, the hotel has a history of just sketchiness and stories. Yeah. And on the at the base of this, at the basement of this hotel is a strip club, and these are more 
mature women. Yeah. <laughs> yep. When I say that, you know the 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 criminal the crime of classiness. And they're not like they're not like the up and coming. Yeah, they're not those other like hoes that you get down the street. <laughs> Talking shit now. But anyway, it's a fun place to go. This is a dive. This is a dive strip bar. But anyway, there's a DJ and his name is Romeo Cologne. Mm-hmm. And his friend Quasi, I forget what Quasi's DJ name is. And they do disco nights there at the bottom of the, of the Star Bar, of the Claremont Lounge. So you got this mixed crowd of just people dis- listening to disco and strippers on the other side just dance around the pole. And it's just a good fiasco of funness. I really enjoy waiting in line to get in. That's yeah, always no, a blast. So, I'm all right now. Yeah, a lot of, Claremont's cool, man. Yeah, Claremont's cool. I actually bought a shirt. Nice. I had to. I'm going to wear it. I didn't want to bring it down because I should have brought it down. Represent. I sh- but I don't know if anyone's going to know, but now that you called me out on it, <laughs> you've been, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, shit, I, you know, I saw Dave a lot when I was there left, two, four, left, over in June. Yeah, Dave was here when I was there. but Yeah. No, no, that's cool that you know the Claremont. All right, weird. I'll wear it next time. Yeah, so yeah, I'm from Atlanta. I guess that's the question. Was that the question? No, Factor Fiction, the Claremont Lounge is the best bar in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah? And, yeah. For sure, MJQ. There's a couple. But yeah, that's my Atlanta story. Love it. Lamont, is there anything you want to... Obviously, we know uh, we can find you at Turtle Lake Brewing Company up in Hanoi. Is there anything else you want to shout out, give a plug to before we get going? No, I'd like to say thank you for you guys for giving me the opportunity to, to talk some shit with you. And it's fun. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You know, I, what's up to everybody in the Bear Brewing community? Peace out. Awesome. Thanks to our producer, Neil. Our uh, theme music again was by Lewis Wright. Thank you as always to my co-host Alex Violet, and thank you for listening. Thank you, Misha. And obviously thank you, Lamont, for thank coming. Thank you both on. you guys, thank you Alex, thank you, Misha. Appreciate it really sincerely. Thank you. That was beer stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love.
Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to the show. Cheers. Bye.